Well, as you know, we're in the book of uh, Malachi. And last week in our introduction, we looked at the circumstances that led to the Lord commissioning Malachi to speak to his people in the nation of Judah. And we know that they are the ones who have been set free from 70 years of exile in Babylon. Now, as well as the words of the prophets who lived through these times, we have the book of Chronicles. And these are the records of God's people leading up to the time of their return from exile as God is preparing them. Now, he's preparing his people for the arrival of Jesus. And the second book of Chronicles, and if you want to turn to it, you can do If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 332. And this is what it says at the end of the book of Second Chronicles. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, said. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. Now just turn the page and you'll go into the book of Ezra. And if you look at the book of Ezra and if you look at verse 1 through to 3, you'll see the exact passage that's just been read from the end of the Chronicles. Now, I don't know if you've realised that, but it's there for you. You see, before the fall of Jerusalem, throughout the words of the prophet, or throughout the, the words of the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord, had warned his people, and he warned them that turning their backs on God and refusing to listen to him would result in God's judgment. And they would be overpowered by the king of Babylon, who would take them into exile for a period of 70 years. Now, all these things are recorded in the book of Chronicles, as are the events of the kings in the book of the kings. So you can see there that the Bible books are not all in chronological order. Okay. So the book of Chronicles was written after the book of Ezra, and taken from the book of Ezra is that introduction which finishes the book of Chronicles. That just explains that little bit. Well, I just mentioned Jeremiah, and we can go back to Jeremiah chapter 25 through to chapter 29, but don't read it now. But what I'm going to do, I'm just going to cherry-pick a few verses to help us understand what's happening in those chapters of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is warning the people about what is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But he's giving them the warning, and God has given him information, information about the future. A little bit like we have when we have the story of Christmas before we have Christmas, before Jesus came. So, Jeremiah 25 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It hasn't happened yet. 
that Jeremiah is Paul telling this. And he goes on in that same chapter 25 down to verse 11. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. He's talking about Judah at this point. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation. The land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord. And I will make it desolate forever. And then further down, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So God in his promise of a Messiah, he gives his people a warning from the prophet Jeremiah that if they don't repent they will come under God's judgment that's a warning to them you, you're moving further and further away from me if you repent and turn back that'll be fine if you don't this warning will happen and God's judgment was delivered on Judah and just as Jeremiah had told them that it would be. Just as the prophets like Isaiah told us how the birth of Jesus would be long before it actually happened. This is the wisdom of God. This is the foreknowledge of God. This is the grace of God. This is the, the might of God that he can use people to bring information to his people to encourage them and to warn them. After the exile, we see his grace and his faithfulness to his promise of a saviour and he offers forgiveness to his people and he offers an opportunity for them to restore that broken relationship with him again you see the mercy of God now we're seeing how during this period the people of Judah are given the opportunity to rebuild the temple and the city walls and God as well as leading the Persian king Cyrus to grant them permission to do this work. He's also provided them with what we can call, and this is good, you need to think about this, hands-on help and guidance from his prophets, such as we saw last week, Ezra, Haddai, Nehemiah, Zechariah, they were hands-on prophets. You know, they, they weren't just <laughs> going around and I'm a prophet, and you know, I would tell you, no, no, they were on down there doing the work. But we also, God supplied what we call skilled men, such as Zerubbabel and Joshua. So God is supplying his people. Now, there's no doubt, and we need to think about this, because this happens over quite a number of years. This rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the city walls. There was political and physical opposition. It wasn't easy. This was aimed at stopping the work. And for a time, the work did stop. And in this period, we can also see the familiar pattern from God's people. That pattern taking them between their faithfulness and their unfaithfulness towards God. But this is the point I want to go over this evening. They are not alone, even though they were failing. They weren't always faithful. But they weren't alone, and we see that. 
Now this is relevant because I mentioned that when we come to the end of the book of Malachi, they will be alone, but God will be there working. A little bit like we saw in the book of Esther, okay? The faithful will still be working. They had spiritual help, they had practical help, and the help was given to those that the Lord had commissioned. And the reason was so that his will would be done. In their case, it is his will that the Savior would come, that Jesus would be born, and that he would be born through the line of David. Now, you might be asking, you know, well, what's the relevance of that to us today? Happened a long time ago. It's all in the past. So how is it relevant to you and I? Well, let's just recap, first of all, what we're seeing here. One, what we're seeing, this is all part of God's perfect plan. You get that? This is all part of God's perfect plan. Two, they, the people we're reading about, they are part of God's perfect plan. And thirdly, the result would be that Jesus would come into the world, that he would be born through the line of David, and that he would become the saviour of the world. He always was, but he would come as God and man to be the saviour of the world. So these people that we're reading about, they are those who are living in what we call the last days of the old covenant. Now, get hold of that, because that's important. They're not just living in the days of the old covenant. They're living in the last days of the old covenant. They probably don't realize it. They know the Messiah will come. But these, for them, is the last days before the Messiah comes. Now, we live under the new covenant. And we're part of the promise that Jesus will return. And we're living in days that are closer to the last days than the people of the early church lived in. So to get the relevance from that point of view as to what's happening with God's people. God's perfect plan, that one perfect plan, continues. It's still happening. Secondly, we're part of that perfect plan. And thirdly, we are to tell the world that Jesus the Saviour has come and tell them that one day he will return. Only this time, not a Saviour, he's already done that, but he will return as judge. This is part of God keeping his promise of a Messiah. And by his grace, he offers forgiveness to all who will accept Jesus as the one who can save them from God's final judgment. That's the action that's happening to us in our day. <clears throat> Circumstances that led the Lord to commission Malachi. Because let's face it, this is God speaking through Malachi, and Malachi was commissioned. We see that when we come to the, the, the book of Malachi. And he's commissioned to speak to God's people. In this case, it's Judah. 
The people who had been set free from 70 years of exile in Babylon. And this is mirrored in the fact that when the Lord frees us, you and I, from the bondage of sin, he commissions us to be prepared and to prepare the world for the return of Jesus. Now, you can stop a moment, you can ask me the question, on what basis can you say that? On what basis can you say that us here have this commission? Well, you don't have to go to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. And this is when Jesus gave what is known as the Great Commission. He gave it to his disciples, okay, not just the apostles. He gave it to his disciples. Who are his disciples? His followers. So although they were given it in person, it wasn't just for them. It was for his disciples. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Get that? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is speaking to faithful believers. What, what's he telling them? He's telling them to bring others to him. And he's saying, and when you do that, tell them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So that's where the commission comes down to us. It's all part of our commission. But we read that um, some doubted. Now, we, we immediately think, oh, are they doubting Jesus? Maybe. Maybe. Because the answer that Jesus gives will cover that. But maybe it wasn't just that. Maybe some doubted their own ability. So some doubted, were not told what they were doubting or who they were doubting. But I suspect that in that company, there would have been those who might have thought, well, can, can, can he really tell us to do this? Has he, has he got the authority? And others might be thinking, well, yeah, it's all very well for some, but I doubt that I can do it. See? See the two aspects <coughs> of this? Could it be that some of them doubted their ability to do what he was asking them to do. So Jesus reminds them, first of all, that he's the one who has full authority. Now, that's all we needed to hear. He was not expanded. He just says that he has <coughs> full authority. And the inference being, not them. Okay, not us. So it's under his authority that we do these things. That's what he's saying. 
And this is not a request. It's a commandment. Because he says, therefore go and do what I want you to do. And remember that I will always be with you. Now, they knew that physically he wouldn't always be with them. He'd already told them that. He'd already prepared them for that. But he didn't say, I will be with you while I am here. He didn't even say, I will be with you when I'm in glory. He said, I will always be with you. And Jesus knew that at times the task would be a hard one, just as it was to them. There will be, and there is, political opposition, there's physical opposition, all aimed at stopping the good news of the gospel reaching the sinner. So what I want us to do is we sort of draw to the end of what we want to look at this evening. I want us to just read from what Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where he reminds them and us of how important <coughs> each one of us is to Christ. You see, he's given this commission. And for some of us, we think, well, I can't do that. But this is what Paul said. And what Jesus was saying when he looked at those 11 disciples and he gave them that commission and he knew that that commission would pass down to all of his followers, that some of them wouldn't be able to preach the gospel. Some of them wouldn't be able to teach the gospel. But what they could all do is live the gospel. But it wouldn't be easy. And then, sometimes, even now, you look at people and you think, well, He's a better Christian than me, or she's a better Christian than me, because of what they're doing. What can I do? All I do is stand at the door and shake hands with people. You know, that's one of the most important positions in a church, to stand at the door and greet people. You know, <laughs> I was Rashworth, we had a guy, and his title was, he was the meter and greeter. And he was... Greeting all kinds of people coming in. And some of those people would be contractors. Some of them would be uh, visitors. Uh, some of them would be coming in for various reasons and in various states of mind. And he wasn't a, a doctor. He wasn't a, um, uh, you know, he, he wasn't medically qualified. But he had a lovely personality. And he was a meter and a greeter. Okay, he did that to the benefit of the NHS. But we can all do that. But we have to stop then and say, no, we can't. Because some of us can't. But there are some of us who can. So there's always something for us that we can do. So, to Paul, when he speaks to the church of Corinth, this is what he said. And it's a great illustration of this. It really is. And you know it well, but it does no harm to repeat it. And to remind ourselves of it in this situation in the Bible study. Okay. Just as a body, though one, has many parts. But all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, do you get that? That's the illustration, but that's what the illustration is leaning towards. Now God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. There are many parts but one body. Now the eye can say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, 
I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indis are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay? It's an integral part that God has given you. It might be that your role is to be an encouragement to other people. And in order to be that encouragement, you must might have to go through certain things, suffer certain things. It might be that you have the ability to be able to speak to a neighbour or a family member where another person might not. At times, this is where we come back to what we've been looking at, we can doubt our ability, especially when we allow outside pressures to lead us into feeling helpless and alone. But we're not alone. The Lord is with us. His will will be done. Jesus the Saviour has come. He has returned to the Father. He's <coughs> given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the new command to love one another. And you know the verse, you might not know the reference, but you know the verse, it's John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. This is, this is it, this is the important thing. Love one another as I have loved you. You know, we're the most despicable people when we're in our sin. We're an abomination to God and to Jesus. And yet he loves us. So you must love one another. And by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now these are the words of Jesus. I have loved you. That lead us into the book of Malachi. And that's where we've been going. We've been working through this. And we've come to that point now where we can come into the book of Malachi. I'm just going to read you a little bit. Malachi, chapter 1, verse 1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. <coughs> I have loved you, says the Lord. I'm going to stop there, and I'm just going to say a few words on that one little bit. The prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. The word Malachi means the Lord's messenger. We don't even know if that was his real name. You know, it could have been, but we don't know. The commentators don't know. Is it just that he is the Lord's messenger, and that's all we need to know about him? Because we don't know anything else about him. And it's being... The Lord's message obviously brings a message from the Lord to God's people. Okay. Initially, under those who are living under the old covenant. But this message is the same message to us who are his people living under the new covenant. I love you, says the Lord. 1 John 4, verse 10 to 12, I'll just recite this. 
This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I want us to carry that thought with us as we continue through the week of Malachi. A thought that will encourage us to hopefully never doubt the fact that in Christ, God loves us no matter what we think about ourselves. And no matter what circumstances we might be in, even when we feel as though God is not there, God still loves us. What I want to do, I want to close with a hymn. I'm going to sing it, but before we do, <coughs> I just want to tell you a little, about, a little bit about the author and then just read the words of the hymn to you. And if you want to be looking for it while I'm doing that, it's in the hymn books and it's 522 in Mission Praise. Now the author, he's a man called Samuel Trevor Francis, born in 1834, died in 1925. And he was brought up in a Christian home, but he didn't really make any commitments. And then as he went through life, he came to a point where as a teenager, he contemplated suicide. And he finished up standing on a bridge in London, looking into the River Thames with the intention of killing himself. <clears throat> but a word came into his mind, something that he'd heard, and he didn't jump. And a result of that, he accepted Jesus as his saviour. The things that he'd heard from his parents and church and had come back to him. And he went on to write many hymns, and this is one of the hymns that he wrote. Oh, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast and measured, boundless free, rolling as a mighty ocean, in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, is the current of his love leading onward, leading homeward, to thy glorious rest of love. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a haven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore, how he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never.